Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington, and along with my co-host, Mary Catherine Carmichael from Leadership Bloomington, Monroe County. Today we're going to talk about uh, education and particularly the intersection of business and education. Uh, our guests in the studio today are Don Warren, Dean Emeritus of the IU Educa- School of Education and an expert on the history of education in the United States. And our other guest is Alan Veach, the principal of Bloomington's New Tech High School. If you have questions or comments, please join us, join us at 855, excuse me. You know, a nicer co-host wouldn't laugh at you. No, that's, that's correct, but I'm, I'm used to you, so <laughs> join us at 855-0811 or toll-free 877-285-9348, our web address, wfiu.org slash noon edition. It's like I tell my husband, there were nicer women out there. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Yeah, hi, Bob. All right, Alan. This is a great topic today. I'm really excited about this. Don, Dr. Warren, Don, can I call you Don? Please do, All yes. Right. All right, thank you. Yeah, this is, a, this is a good topic, and we're going to, you know, despite the ad in the paper today, we're going to take this in lots of different directions. So we, uh, we're going we're gonna to start by talking, though, about, about this idea of uh, um, businesses that have sort of latched on to education as a business model. And and I have to say, Alan, I think New Tech is one of those. I mean, New Tech is, it, is, it was started by a group that has a model for how how a high school can be operated and how a high school can run. And Bloomington, Monroe, the MCCSC, signed a contract with them, correct? Yeah, that is true. We signed a contract um, four years ago now for our starting, and we just uh, re- re-up that contract for, for another year. You know, uh, back in 1996, the, the business community out in Napa, California, got together and said, uh, the people that are coming to us, while they have a lot of content knowledge, they don't have the 21st century skills or what we might call the soft skills to be successful in our, as an employee for us. You know, they, they don't communicate well, neither orally nor written. Um, maybe their work ethic is not as good. And, and a big piece, and we even hear that from um, people here in town, our business partners here in town, is that we no longer want employees that just work alone. Even those people who work in a lab work as a team. And we've all been on dysfunctional teams as adults. So to begin teaching kids at a young age what it means to collaborate and work with difficult team members and, and to have to co-create a product to demonstrate what you know um, is a huge skill that's going to be more and more important as we as we go throughout uh, the 21st century. So they put together the, the first new tech, which is Napa New Tech, and um, they started a foundation. And um, Bill, Bill Gates, uh, as he's uh, often to do, threw some money at them, and they said, go, go create some more. And they, they took their recipe, and they expanded that, and they expanded again. And, you know, uh, probably a huge benefit to New Tech, um, which a lot of people in this town may not know that are supporters of New Tech, is the National New Tech Network was basically bought out by KnowledgeWorks Foundation, which is the largest or one of the largest privately funded um, education foundations in the nation, and that's housed in Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, KnowledgeWorks has taken New Tech on as its its high school redesign model. Um, so it is very much a business model for KnowledgeWorks. They've said New Tech is the way we want to go with redesigning high schools, and we're going to go across the nation to to basically sell this recipe to school corporations as a way to um, improve test scores, improve engagement, improve graduation rates, and, and really make a difference in the education of kids in, in their communities. So it is very, very much a business. Mm-hmm. Okay, so can you clarify something for me? You describe KnowledgeWorks as a foundation, and when I hear foundation, I think of a not-for-profit, a 501c3 organization. And so sometimes I think less of a business model and more of a not-for-profit model. Could you explain that, how that works? And, and you know, I, I'm just really learning a little bit about KnowledgeWorks <coughs> myself and having some opportunities to work with the, the, that organization. But it is a 501c3, so it is a not-for-profit. Profit. It does um, receive a uh, tremendous amount of grant money in order to support its programming. So, for example, the New Tech Network, even though it is a, a 
for-fee service to be a part of the New Tech Network, it is by no means sustainable. Uh, they, they lose money on the New Tech Network, so they rely on um, other grants and, and such to, to support that. They, get a, they just got a huge grant from the Hewlett Foundation um, and, and uh, are doing some work out in New York. And there are uh, some programs out there to help renovate their schools or innovate their schools. So it, it is a 501c3. It is, it is grant-funded. It is funded by the schools that pay to be a part, but um, it, it is a non-for-profit. And just before, before we uh, turn to Don, Don with uh, another question about, um, about this, I wanted to give you the opportunity to sort of update us on where New Tech is right now. What year are you in operation? Is this the third year? We're year four. four We're year, year three. Year excuse three. me. We so. um, – are excited to be thinking about our first senior class. We've got, uh, it's hard to believe, but we've got our, our graduation spot booked for next year. will be June 1st at 7 p.m. at the Buskirk Chumley. So we're excited um, to have our first graduating class. You know, as, as if you followed along in the Herald mm-hmm. Times, this has not, not been a year without its bumps and bruises <laughs> um, along the way. And um, we kind of laughingly joke among the directors of New Tech that I'm, I'm going to be starting my third first year this next year because, <laughs> um, because of those. But the kids have been great, and the parents continue to be great um, and supportive and just really understanding that, that we really are kind of building this airplane as we're flying it. And um, we're excited about um, the goals we have for next year and where we're headed with our staff. And uh, we, we're really – I mean, we're excited about the end of this year, but we're also really, really excited about the start of next year and um, working with that first senior class and seeing some of the great things um, that they're going to do during their senior year. Do you know yet if you'll get back some of the teachers who were specifically trained to work at New Tech but because of the turmoil with MCCSC ended up in teaching positions either – were replaced perhaps by people with more tenure in your schools. Right. Are you going to get those folks back? You know, a couple of those um, took voluntary rifts. So one of them, um, I always call him a rock star, but one of them actually is working at the New Tech Network now, and he's actually training other teachers in schools, and he he's, he is really amazing at that. Another guy, um, you know, he's he's decided he wanted to be a carpenter. You know, and I, mm-hmm. my philosophy is, is I'm going to support my employees to do to do whatever they want to do that's best for them. But we will be getting um, Claire Roth was an English teacher. She'll be coming back to us and. Um, you know, not to put any pressure on him, but we have a chemistry teacher out there who we'd like to, to come back. But he, he has had um, a great year teaching at the project school and really enjoys it there. And, and if, he, if he's at the project school, then that's great for them because he's just an amazing person with, with kids. Mm-hmm. All right. Our phone number is again 855-0811 in Bloomington, 877-285-9348. And WFIU.org slash Noon Edition is our web address. Um, Don Warren, Dean Emeritus of the IU Edu- School of Education, is here. And, Don, you've seen over the years um, businesses get involved with education. You know, how have things changed? Uh, do you think that right now – I mean, it seems to me that businesses are very vocal about what they want from their schools and are doing a lot of things to try to make sure to make that happen. Um, is this something new? No. No, it's not. Uh, what, is, what is new, and Alan gave voice to it, uh, is the sort of nationwide perspective and even the organizational structure of these initiatives. So you have the Business Roundtable, which uh, has a lot to say about education and has considerable influence, and a number of private foundations. I'd What intrigued me, uh, several things that Alan said intrigued me, but one of them was in response to uh, your question, uh, he he characterized it as a business model, but it's not. Um, And and that's an important point uh, uh, to make. It's uh, business people were among the first advocates of public education in this country two centuries ago. And... And their reasons were not uh, hidden. Uh, they they wanted people who worked in their in their businesses and uh, and main, not not to be trained for that work, but to learn how to be on time, to learn how to cooperate, to learn how to dress. Um, uh, so it was a kind of of moral preparation for the workplace that, that that occurred and that has been going on that that sort of effort influenced by business groups has been going on uh, for a very long time what's what is different Bob is the uh, is this national scope and and the the problem with that national scope 
uh, is the possibility that we will develop a kind of cookie-cutter approach uh, to teaching and learning. Alan, Alan uh, touched on this, and it's, uh, it's a serious uh, challenge to our history. Our history is of local schools, uh, uh, which evolved uh, over time in most states, not all states, into state schools. So you had state agencies that were involved in, um, in schooling. Um, we have always, until No Child Left Behind, rejected direct national, never mind federal, involvement uh, in the, <clears throat> the direction and operation of schools. Now, we did that except in certain places, um, territories, for example. So we had federal involvement in Alaska. We had federal involvement in Hawaii. Uh, federal involvement in Puerto Rico. I mean, you can think of the places that were essentially territories or colonies, mm-hmm. and Congress acted on in those cases. But otherwise, we have stayed out of the federal sphere. And the reason has been the idea that somehow education, in part, had to be local. That is, it had to respond to particular kids and particular communities uh, even as it promoted uh, basic learning across a variety of fields. So that's a long answer to your question, Bob. That's all right. <laughs> I, I've got a follow-up or two, but we're going to go to the phones first. Stan is on the phone. Stan? A rather broad question, and, and that is the uh, 501c3 status, does that mean that the compensation paid to the, I'll say, employees, overseers, managers, and generators of the plans, are, are those public, uh, um, uh, is, is that published in, in a public way so that people can see where their money is going, even though it is money contributed by others rather than tax money? Alan, do you, do you know the answer to that? That's a really good question. I, 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 I would say probably not. I mean, it's not a, uh, like a school. It's not like it's like a my, private foundation. Right. It's not like my salary. I mean, you could go online and find that today if you wanted. And um, any public employee of, of MCCSC, that's that's available. But uh, this is still a pro- kind of a private foundation. It, it, it's a five hundred one c. It's a nonprofit, but it's not a public. Um, public, entity. E- in- public entity. So I would guess you probably could not go online and find that information or, or, or anywhere. Unless they chose to disclose, and, would, and they might choose to they do might. that. It would be a smart thing. Right. I mean, I think it, it does cause their, or call their motives into question unless there's transparency. So I under, is, that, is that where you're going on that, Stan? Exactly. Um, I, I, I applaud the idea, but um, it's, it seems to me it's, it's prudent to... to know what's going on behind it. it it's in a way it's um, to me hat in hand with the idea that schools adopt textbooks and publishers of textbooks pay money to authors who, who are obviously professional in their fields and sometimes they have to alter the text to suit uh, local school systems so uh, transparency in all these things in education seems to me is very important. Mm-hmm. Thank you. All right, Stan. Thanks a lot for the call. 855-0811-877-285-9348 and WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. Uh, I would say to Stan, I believe there are places where uh, at least a lot of nonprofit um, financial data is available. And, uh, you know, we've looked at some of those <coughs> over time. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it just seems... You know, like like looking up the salaries of all the people that run our nonprofits in Bloomington seems like a. Well, if anybody makes more than you, they're overpaid, and yeah, if yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah, just right. one of those things. Right, right. We do that with teachers, yes. <laughs> <laughs> public employees. Uh, Don, I wanted to follow up. Uh, you, you were talking about the the history of local schools and the and the um, fear of some cookie cutter approaches, particularly if uh, you know if the federal government gets involved. Uh, I'd like to hear your comments on on what's happened in education in, I'd say, the last five years or so. It's probably been a little longer when, like, New Tech High School 
began. Uh, we have the Project School in Bloomington now. Uh, of course, Harmony School's been around. There are probably more parochial schools in town now. So there mm-hmm. are a lot more choices. Yeah, so an explosion of choice that right. we never had mm-hmm. in and the this is just 60s, on 70s. The, on the local level, do you think this is – I mean, I think advocates of this have talked about how not every kid learns the same way. So having different methods of learning is a good way to go. And I'd like, you know, with your historical perspective, uh, are we in a better place now than we've been? Uh, Bloomington is – is and Monroe County – are somewhat unique, uh, and I think it's in, it's in part under the influence of the university and local uh, civic and business <coughs> leaders. But we do have uh, educationally more options than a lot of small communities of comparable size. Uh, personally, I think that's a good thing. Um, what what worries me is. Uh, the extent to which this debate over public versus private um, loses sight of the idea that that in the midst of that great diversity, um, we need to have a public utility that is concerned about the common good with regard to education. This doesn't mean that public schools – Uh, should be attended by everyone. It doesn't mean that at all, but it does mean that there is a floor to opportunity that we will not sink below and that uh, that children everywhere will have this option uh, of going to a public public school. I I thought it was really um, uh, intriguing to hear Alan talk about uh, the, f- the the fact he's learned from his institution, I can speak to it historically, education is not a profitable enterprise financially. That's that, it, it, it never has been. Uh, why? Well, because it's labor-intensive, mm-hmm. for one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and kids don't usually have a lot of money. And the kids don't usually <laughs> have a lot of money. Right. And uh, And so... Somehow we have con- we have convinced over the centuries people to buy into the idea that everyone, whether you have kids in school or not, or whether you used to and or never did, uh, that everyone is going to support this um, opportunity, uh, which I think is best uh, understood as a public utility. Mm-hmm. It's for the common good. That's the that's the idea b- behind it. That's an amazing thing, uh, uh, <coughs> that tax support. And it's not common around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wouldn't want us to lose sight of that. Uh, it's not exactly a nuance, but it is a kind of political culture uh, where we all tend to agree that we will engage in this common venture called education. That doesn't mean we all agree about everything regarding that common venture. Um, it is true that lately, in the past few years, it seems like uh, the, the arguments have gotten more heated <laughs> and more frequent. But I have to tell you that that's not true, <laughs> that they've been, they've been heated and they've been frequent for a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, again, from your historical perspective, <laughs> I think you'll hear a lot of people say from probably um, – you know, President Obama on down. In, in the political spectrum, you'll hear people say, well, pu- the public the school systems aren't working. We have, to, you know, we have to reinvent the schools. We have to do these things differently. From your perspective, how accurate are those? Are our public schools in need of, you know, some retweaking or some just drastic blow them up and try something new? That's a really good question. And I, I appreciate, as a historian, being asked uh, uh, to respond to it. The first thing I want to say is <coughs> that the historical evidence confirms that our schools are working very well. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and then to say on top of that, <coughs> education is a process. And that, and that means that we forever have to be staying on top of it tweaking it, changing it, altering it, adapting it to the particular kids and parents uh, 
that our schools serve. So, so, so number one, <clears throat> we must have it. But number two, and we are in agreement apparently on that, and number two, <coughs> um, we must change it. We must always be open to that possibility. Now, look, um, I, I would argue that you could go into any school. This one said that his, Allen sounds like a perfect school. Go and look and see what's going on there. Go to South High School. Go to any elementary school and watch what teachers do in the classroom. And, and I would wager that what you would say is, oh, they're working. They're working. The, and, and, the, and the teachers are working very hard at it. Um, that doesn't mean there aren't improvements to be made. Some of the major, uh, but uh, uh, it's important to acknowledge that the, that the, <coughs> the success ratio is high. Mm-hmm. All right. 855-0811-877-285-9348, WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. Um, I want to go back to Alan because I think it's, it's great to have you here with the new tech model and, and talk uh, – and, and I want to, again, sort of remind – our listeners, what that's all about and the kinds of things that, that you're doing at New Tech. And again, going back to sort of the, the definition, new technology, new tech high school doesn't mean that you're teaching technology. It, 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 I mean, really, we always, you know, I think when we're first recruiting students and parents to become a part of our school, they, they see new technology and they think, well, it, it's a vocational school or is this just for the top? And that really is a bit of a kind of a, um, a it misleads a lot of people to, to think about what we are. And um, our our simple slogan is we're about college prep proje- projects and 21st century skills. So I, I tell anybody that I talk to that if you can take anything away from a conversation with me about new tech uh, and what we are is we are about college prep projects and 21st century skills. And so our curriculum is college prep. When kids graduate from new tech, if, if they take all the classes and, and achieve at a high level, they'll, they'll leave new tech with an honors diploma. Um, they have an opportunity to go to Hoosier Hills to earn a technical to honor, technical honors diploma, and we'll have students doing that. So the big, the big piece for us that we have landed on when talking to people is we're really about project-based learning and that the type of teaching and learning that occurs in our building is going to be much different than you would experience in a, in a traditional school. And, and, and that is then supported by technology in the one-to-one computer ratio. But that is not the key piece for us. The technology is a tool by which we support the project-based learning and the learning of our students. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a really key differentiation that we try to make now as we recruit students and parents uh, for future classes. Now, how many students do you have? We're around 203 um, mm-hmm. in our three grades. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, recruiting continues to be a huge piece of, right. of my fall semester. And I, I, I often laugh as I feel like I'm a college basketball coach sometime <laughs> and <laughs> trying to get out there and get the best recruits that's, uh, that, that can come in and be a part of our team. And mm-hmm. um, as always, we recruit every uh, MCC 8, SC 8th grader uh, to come be a part. And, and we don't differentiate based on any type of performance at the middle school. And, and we, we welcome all. My, my recollection is you – had room for a hundred per class, correct? Right? And you were anticipating some uh, attrition as time went along because right. so not we everybody, have, you know, exactly. Yeah, we have room for a hundred per class. If we have more than a hundred, then then we do a lottery, and um, you know, we've we've been fortunate or unfortunate, however you want to look at it, to to be able to allow all applicants to be into this point, and uh, we're looking forward to. Um, you know, a new superintendent coming in and uh, really some establishing some relationships with her and her leadership to really promote new tech as, as a really uh, good option for kids um, in Monroe County and, and, and continue to build that recruitment numbers. All right. We're going to take a short break. Uh, again, our guests today are Don Warren, Dean Emeritus of the IU School of Education, and Alan Veach, Principal of Bloomington's New Tech High. We're talking about uh, the intersection of business and education and just whatever other topics about education that might come up. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcast directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. Programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, The Ether Game, Musical Mini Quiz, 
as well as play and opera reviews are all available on demand. Find out more at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? On Fridays, the WFIU news team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Listen at 11.33 a.m., 11.55 a.m., and 5.45 p.m. to catch that day's feature. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael, and our guest today, Don Warren, Dean Emeritus of the IU School of Education, and Alan Beach, Principal of Bloomington's New Tech High. Uh, you can join us on the program by phoning 855-0811 in Bloomington or 877-285-9348 or wfiu.org slash Noon Edition is our web address. Last Friday after this program, which I have to admit was about tasting wines, I went out and uh, interviewed Richard Dreyfus. It was mostly um, – uh, he did most of the talking because he's a, an actor and has a very strong – he had a very strong script of things that he wanted to say and it was really interesting to listen to him. His whole um, – life really right now is based on this notion of uh, the Dreyfus Initiative, which is to try to try to, to encourage schools to teach more civics. He believes that civics education has basically um, been given short shrift by school districts and therefore kids aren't learning enough about their government and about what government uh, – what the uh, both powers and authorities and limitations on government are, and so he, you know, he would he would say he would argue that this is leading to a lot of the incivility and a lot of the misapplication uh, of um, authority by certain people in public offices and, and all sorts of things. So the question is, how well are we doing in teaching civics education in our public schools today, Doctor Warren or uh, Allen and at Newtek? Um, well, the, um, <clears throat> the the international comparisons suggest that we're not doing as well as Shanghai, <laughs> Singapore, um, and some other places around the around the world. Um, I, I'm I must admit those those don't um, uh, those comparisons don't bother me at all. I'm not sure that they have very much meaning, actually. Uh, but I was intrigued with Dreyfus's uh, push. I read about it in the paper. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear his presentation. Um, this is an, this is um, uh, one of those reforms that probably has to recur. Why is that? Well, because every generation of students, which we're talking about every four years probably uh, in high school, <coughs> needs to learn anew. Uh, why? Well, because they haven't had this before. So do we need to know uh, the details about our political structures? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> why? Well, because we're a constitutional democracy. Uh, that means the thing is written uh, and people should have read it. Uh, and so... And so... Uh, so it, whether we're doing well or not so well with regard to civic education, it always needs to be something that we press. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I want to give Alan a chance to respond in kind because I have something else to say about where we learn to be good citizens. Mm-hmm. But one of the things we absolutely must do because we're a nation of laws is make sure that our students know the literature. Mm-hmm. Alan? <coughs> well, and, and obviously uh, Dr. Warren could, could answer this question much better than I could as far as that, that perspective. But I think a key, a key piece for me is, well, if we can joke a little bit, I'm really really disappointed that Richard Dreyfuss wasn't talking about music education for those of us that fell in love with Mr. Holland's opus so, right, right, right. so many years ago. I mean, that was um, a great movie. But, you know, I, I think the key piece is, is helping students to understand that they, they need to participate in society, that um, they they can't just stand back and watch things happen. They need to get out and vote. They need to understand why they're voting, what they're talking about, and how our government works, and what how, how to become involved in that. And uh, you know, government is a class that seniors take, um, and it's a semester class. And and is that enough, or is that not enough? Um, that that's probably not 
for me to decide, but but all throughout school, they need to be encouraged to be participating in their school, in their community, and and being aware of what's going on and and aware of what's going on around them. And I think if we can incorporate, you know, the new tech, we try to incorporate as much of the the things that are happening in the world today into our projects. We want real-world projects because we want kids to be aware of not only what's happening in Bloomington, but what's happening in the world around them so that they can be better and more informed citizens. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, I've got a follow-up to that, but first we're going to go to the phones because Patricia has been waiting uh, very patiently. So, Patricia? Well, the the trouble is the more I listen, the more questions I have. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm curious about how the students are chosen, how much influence parents have and how much influence is based on knowledge of all so that all students have a chance for the uh, school that would be to alan well um patricia that's a that's a great question and and all honesty um parents really have no influence uh we open our application process up around january 1st and we have uh, advertised and sent applications out and and it, we let the first 50 students uh, have an automatic spot, just as kind of a recruiting uh, gimmick for us to encourage people to apply. But then after that, we accept uh, all applications. And if we get more than 100, we actually put them all in a, in a pile and we draw them out, males and females equally. And, and that's how students are chosen. So it's a completely random lottery once we exceed the 100 students that, that is our maximum. Well, that's fine, what you're saying. But I'm saying... For the child that is going to apply to go to this school, if their parents are not aware of what's going on and not interested, are they going to be missed? You know, Patricia, I, I can actually speak to this because I'm I'm the parent of an eighth grader, and I can tell you that they did a lovely job of notifying families about this opportunity. And uh, Alan came to my son's school and spoke and uh, gave a very thorough overview of uh, what his school uh, does and, and the approach that it takes to education. So um, they, they made it pretty easy on us. So I, I think they actually have that down pretty well. Oh, that's good. Uh, one of the other things that somebody said there about other countries, and I don't think you can compare us to other countries, I think the important thing is to teach our children to think, not to rote learn. And I, and I think we do a better job in that than in a lot of other countries. I have traveled quite a bit. Mm-hmm. That's just a comment. Uh, I'm guessing you won't get a lot of disagreement in this room. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree. Well, thank you for letting me All right. Thanks, thanks for your call, thanks for the call. Eight five five zero eight one one in Bloomington eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight outside of the Bloomington area, and wfiu dot org slash noon edition. Well, I recently I was uh, I had the opportunity to watch Waiting for Superman um, with Kathy Deersing, who is one of the co leaders at the Project School, and it's an experience I recommend to anybody. I don't don't know, imagine too many of us at least watch the movie, um, if nothing else. But during the discussion that followed, I learned something that I thought was very interesting, um, and that is that homeschoolers. Um, no money follows a homeschooler into the community right now, but. If you go to a school like New Tech or the Project School, any kind of charter school, the same amount of money comes into the community per pupil as it would if that child attended uh, the the bigger overarching school corporation in your community. So I don't know if you want to comment on that. It's just kind of an interesting fact, and I thought it might kind of uh, promote a little more discussion about some of the options and what the repercussions of those are. As long as there are options, as Allen's school is an option, within the public sector, then the money follows the kid. So, so yes, and uh, but not in private schools. So there are lots of charter schools around the country that are really uh, offspring of the public system, the local public system, or as in Indiana, the state system. We have state-sponsored charter schools. And so um, for those students, then the same uh, dispersal or rate of dispersal occurs uh, as it should, I think. Uh, And that's a way of making sure that that schools like Allen's are not unfairly treated. I mean, those those kids are part of the mix, I guess, is the bottom line. Do you think we'll ever get comfortable? And I actually have another follow-up. Is it the, the amount of money is what between four and five thousand dollars for MCCSC students? I, I believe that's correct. Okay, um, 
Not you, enough. Right. Yeah, I know it's it quite a bit lower than in other communities. Doesn't meet I understand. The price that. Tag. <laughs> uh, do you think? And as a historian, I, I'd like to ask you this question, Don. Do you think that as a culture, we'll ever get comfortable? Breaking out of the one size fits all model, where we're, you know, everybody says, yes, you know what, my son or daughter is is at this kind of school because they're this kind of learner, and I want them to learn uh, about the world from this perspective. Right. But my other child has this perspective, and so blah blah blah. Do you think that's a trend that's actually going to um, maybe? It seems so emotionally charged right now. But what's your prediction as far as the future on this? I think it's it's another one of those battles that will go on forever. Uh, and and I'll tell you why. Because parental interest in the issue uh, varies with the age of their child. And when their child is out of school, they move on to other issues, not surprisingly. Mm-hmm. So – it's it's one of those it's one of those issues that we we will keep fighting over arguing over personally i think those arguments i'd like for them to be civil but the arguments themselves are not bad there it's a good thing that we care enough about these matters to engage each other in discussing them uh again you'd like for the discussion to be informed you'd like for it to be civil um but uh the discussion itself is valuable. Well, part of what uh, the, the political debate these days is about, and this sort of relates to Patricia's question about uh, where the money goes and money following students. Um, the uh, I think the, the proposal in the legislature is that a voucher system would be put into place where a Money could go to a student who was going to a a private school, right. whether it was a parochial school or or not. Uh, there's been some discussion debate about the Indiana Constitution, which says there's a separation between church and state, and that tax money should not be going to uh, religious schools as well as other religious uses. As I understand it, from talking to some other smart people, uh, that. You know the the way that that some states are trying to get around this is to say, well, this is not going to the school; it's going to the parent. The parent can spend the money however they want. I know there are various lawsuits and whatnot about that. Um, again, turning to Don Warren from a historical perspective, I and mean, there's been a long separation between church and state in this country. You know, from your perspective, maybe I'm asking you for you know your wisdom as well as maybe an opinion. Um, what do you think of this voucher system, and, and do you think it's defensible from a, a constitutional standpoint? Well, uh, my, my concerns about the voucher system have to do with the extent to which they, um, they threaten the notion of the common good uh, in education. Uh, and uh, uh, because uh, – most of the voucher systems that I've seen, l- looked at, and and that includes the current proposals in Indiana, will inevitably result in the transfer of funds from public schools to private schools. Mm-hmm. And we already know from Allen and, and his little corner of that universe that if you multiply that by all the other schools in the country, we know – that education is not a, a profit uh, venture, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and and that's not why we engage in it. We engage in it because, as a community, all of us benefit when children learn. Uh, uh, there's some conditions that have to be met, of course. So if uh, it, it's not it's not separating out um, among the various local options. Um, that are available for children and parents to choose. That is also the American way. That kind of diversity is the American way. But at, at the root of it has to be this foundation. We we talked earlier about the the, found, the private foundations that are supporting, advocating education. All well and good, and we need the money, but to what extent are those agencies publicly accountable? for what they do, not just how they spend their money, but their agendas. 
Those are important matters for the public to discuss, I think. So that, that's, that's my point about vouchers. I don't want to fragment that discourse. That discourse needs to go on. Uh, and I don't want to further diminish the limited funds that are available for public education. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's say I'm going to be devil's advocate here. Okay, let's say that money follows the child, and so more people choose private education because it actually makes it more affordable than when when there's a, you know a percent a, hard, a large percentage taken off the the bill. So the public ends up then educating fewer citizens because so many of them have made other choices. Why is that a bad thing? Well, but, it, but it's more than that, Mary Catherine. We're, we're educating um, uh, children who are perhaps uh, also engaged in religious instruction and evangelism. Uh, is that a public resp- – how does that serve the public good? That's the question. In general, religion often promotes the common good. But that's not what evangelism is about. Um, and I personally don't want anybody else um, telling me how to be evangelized. I want to do that for myself. Okay, I want take to do out it for the pro- my children. Take out the parochial schools then and just say uh, non-religious affiliated, uh, religion affiliated private schools. Yes. Well... So that that chunk, let's say that percentage goes from of the total population, and I'm making this number up completely, <laughs> but let's just say that number goes from 10 percent to 20 percent. So the public is then responsible for educating 10 percent right. fewer citizens. Right. Why is that a bad thing? Uh, well, it, it, the other part of it is that it reduces the amount of money that's available to Allen School directly. Mm-hmm. So uh, – and we already know – He's not running a profit. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think a key piece, too, for me is, you know, I'm, I'm a competitive guy. And, you know, the news – not to pick on Bob, but the newspaper likes to print our scores um, from the state, <laughs> you know, as, as a big scoreboard. And, and a big piece for me is, is that accountability going to be the same for all? So if you're going to send money to private schools, then their scores need to be printed in the newspaper right along with mine because uh, – you know, believe whichever information is put out by the different political groups supporting this particular bill. But um, the the charter schools in the state, from what I read, are, aren't amongst the highest performing as far as the percentage of them. Now, some of them are. But if you look at the percentage of them, a lot of them aren't really achieving at a high level. So if we're going to send public dollars, and this is me talking as a taxpayer, if I'm going to send my public dollars to a private school, then they need to be held to the same level of accountability as the public school down the street. And if they're not achieving at a high level, then the state's got to be willing to come in and say, you know, we're going to come in and take you over because because that's what we would do to the public school where they're not achieving at a high level. So I think, you know, voucher or not, the key piece to me is if public dollars are going there, then the accountability has to be the same for all. Right. All right. We have about 10 minutes to go on the program. Phone numbers again, 855-0811, and wfiu.org slash noon edition is the web address. I'm going to turn this a little bit back to the uh, advertised topic of the program. Uh, we've talked a lot about uh, various parts of education. I want to talk about Uh, the business connection with education. I guess I want to frame my question this way. And again, Don, you've seen the historical perspective. Uh, Businesses, as you said, have been involved with education for many, many years. Are the needs of business changing dramatically now? And has that pushed them into even more involvement? Well, uh, someone earlier was talking about uh, um, textbooks for Indiana and how textbook companies ad- adapt textbooks to serve local populations. Mm-hmm. I wish that were more the case, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, textbooks in Indiana are probably written for Texas or California mm-hmm. or some other large market. Mm-hmm. We're not large enough. Our market isn't large enough to, uh, to influence the content of textbooks. Um, uh, Texas and California are, uh, and so it's likely that our textbooks were written for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, so Bob, that's that's sort of new. That then that um, that kind of um, one size fits all approach 
is uh, is new. Now then, the the, the 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 new technology that Alan's teaching at his school suggests to us it doesn't have to be. Textbooks can be published locally. Mm-hmm. Textbooks can be published on site. They can be online. They can be very on an iPad. I mean, here your homework's on exactly. an iPad. <clears throat> we don't need to have textbooks like that anymore. But the textbook publishers who are scrambling to stay up with their market share <laughs> are, uh, you know, uh, uh, concerned about reducing their cost, and and their and that means a kind of unified project mm-hmm. product. Interesting. With all the um, <coughs> content that's available now uh, so easily, um, has there been any kind of talk of, about um, putting local communities, putting uh, or states even, just simply publishing their own textbooks? You know, or, or, and I say that, quote, unquote, not really an actual tangible textbook, but online content that then could be used as we have traditionally thought of the textbook being used. And there, and there is already some, some Indiana online, state-sponsored online curriculum available to schools. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just talked about it yesterday, and the name's escaping me right now. But, you know, the, I, I think the state of Indiana is, is ahead of the game a little bit in that point because they've already approved – the idea of, of the com- a computer becoming your textbook or, or the idea of, mm-hmm. of teacher-created curriculum driven by the standards so that there, you're not – in Indiana, you no longer have to adopt textbooks every six years or, or whatever that particular piece <coughs> comes along. So, so maybe it is an online curriculum. Maybe it is a teacher-created curriculum. Maybe it is, it is an iPad with, with different pieces. So uh, I think the state of Indiana has recognized that the time of the traditional textbook might might be going by the by the wayside. Yeah, those six years between mm. textbook adoptions that makes me laugh. We when know, I, and, you and know, the <laughs> I, I have to yeah. give credit to the tech director up at Rochester <laughs> New Tech. You know, she tweeted when when the craziness was happening over there at Yearbook. You know, she's or excuse me, over at, in Egypt that. You know, every textbook that is currently in schools is now wrong. Um, yeah. So, so why yeah. not? You know, why not have a, a living, breathing textbook such as a computer, an iPad, whatever that might right. be that that that's instantly updated, that it's real, and and, it, mm-hmm. and you know, we, we always tell kids that, or I tell people when I'm talking is that you know the idea that we, I mean, content knowledge is important, and we all memorized and remember tons of stuff from our school, but. Our kids have a computer in their pocket that can provide the most minute detail of information within 15 to 20 seconds. And, and just recognizing <laughs> recognizing that fact that, that there's no textbook that can provide the information that that, that, that toy that's in their pocket can provide them, mm-hmm. um, and, and then a lot quicker. And uh, what I like about that, too, is it can be provided in a lot of different levels. So the textbook's written at one level. If I, I was a biology teacher, if I wanted to learn about photosynthesis, my textbook's really only going to explain that one way, but I can go to the web right now and find thousands of explanations for <clears throat> photosynthesis and find one that, that's appropriate to my learning style. So quickly, how do you, uh, when a child says to you, why do I have to learn this? All I have to do is look it up to find the answer. Well, that's a great question. And, and if a kid's asking that at New Tech, then we need to look at our, our teaching um, that's going on there. Because, you know, in project-based learning, they're not – doing that to memorize a fact. Content's an important piece. And I, if anybody is, likes reading educational books, Michael Schmoker's got a, a new book out called Focus. And, and his thing, key thing is there is, is you've got to have content. And to talk intelligently and debate, to debate and analyze topics, you've got to have the content in order to do that. Mm-hmm. But the kids, need, they, they need to know why. So if you provide them up front with a reason to know that, and then they've got to learn that content in order to produce a product or something in the end, then that answers the question why for you. And, you know, I'm biased because I'm the principal of New Tech, but um, <laughs> I think we do a good job of that, of answering that why question up front, because we do give them the, the problem to start rather than giving them the information to start. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to the phones. Wayne's been waiting patiently. Wayne. Hi. About religion in schools, I heard an IU professor say that moral relativism is rampant in public schools. Moral relativism is religion. It's secular humanism. Uh, So secular humanism has a monopoly in our public schools. I know a lot of Christians who would love to get the religion out of our public schools. Okay. Any reaction? You mean... The nope. secular humanism as right. religion. Okay. Okay. All right, Wayne. Thank you, Wayne. Wayne 
it has strong opinions, and we appreciate them. Thanks for calling, Wayne. Um, I wanted to. I had one other question I was going to ask. I'm not sure I can remember. <laughs> I thought he had a good radio voice too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, I've lost it. Okay. Well, uh, let's just wrapping up. I guess what what changes do you see coming down the pike that you're the, that are biggest on your radar screens, both of you? Well, obviously, there's just tons of legislation right now up in Indianapolis that could have just a huge impact on on public schools. Um, and, and how we do business. And I think the next few months uh, and the decisions that are made up there are going are gonna to impact us all tremendously. And we're just I – think, I think there's not a person in, in the public sector of education that's not just holding our breaths and, and just kind of uh, wondering what, what's next, um, good, or, good and bad. Wow, interesting. Mm-hmm. Given these debates, it's uh, it's really hard to be optimistic. It's hard to be pessimistic. I mean, just, we, there's so much we just don't know at this point. And it's not just Indiana. It's really all mm-hmm. over the country. Uh, these kinds of issues uh, that, are, uh, that are up for uh, debate. Um, what I would like, uh, uh, and I've decided that this would be my emphasis in discussions about this, is to somehow turn around the debate about teachers and and proclaim them as among our heroes. Mm-hmm. All right. And with that, we're going to have to end the program. But I want to thank you uh, very much for being here today. Don Warren, Dean Emeritus of the IU School of Education, and Alan Veach, Principal of Bloomington's New Tech High School. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, Producer Dan Goldblatt, and Energy Engineer Mike Bashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net.